we got into the videos, it was like we were just doing stuff that the pros weren't able to do. And we were young and doing it in a different way. We dressed different. And that was how people started paying attention to us. Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. Today, we are sitting down with Mikey Taylor. This dude is a pro skateboarder turned entrepreneur who has got some amazing, amazing pearls of wisdom to share with you in this episode today. Mikey is somebody who came into the world of entrepreneurship um, when he sort of had to start thinking about how he was going to transition from being a pro athlete into sort of making a living. Because as you guys know, I mean, you can't be a pro athlete forever. Your body just can't do that. And eventually you're going to need a transition out of that. So Mike got introduced to the world of real estate and that's actually where he is doing most of his business now through a venture called Commune Capital. So we're gonna be talking a lot about the mindset required to A, become a pro athlete, but then B, transition from that into the world of entrepreneurship then we're diving deep into real estate. So we've got a lot of ground to cover in this episode. So uh, without further ado, I want you guys to sit back, relax, plug in, and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money with the one and only Mikey Taylor. All right, Mikey, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today? Good, man. Thank you. How are you? I am doing fantastic. So Mikey, our listeners got to hear a little bit about you in the intro to this episode, but for those of them that aren't familiar with who you are and what you're currently doing right now, give us like a 60 to 90 second um, sort of snapshot in time of where you're at currently, and then we're going to sort of flash back and work our way up. Uh, okay, so currently uh, I started and manage a real estate fund called Commune Capital, and we invest in multifamily apartments, uh, and that was started due to me being a pro skateboarder and having to put myself in a position to exit my career successfully when it happened. I chose real estate being that vehicle, then wanted to do something for other athletes. And uh, here I am now uh, building a company and helping others prepare for the future. Awesome. I love it. So I'm super stoked to dive into real estate. That's something that a lot of the listeners are very, very interested in. But before we do that, I sort of want to flash back in time because you have a very interesting story that you sort of alluded to there about how you got to where you're at now. So let's flash back to like middle school, high school years. Talk to our listeners who are on the younger side about what you were doing in that time period. What were you interested in? Um, I know you were getting into skateboarding. So what'd that look like for you? Uh, so yeah, middle school, high school, I was just obsessed with skating. That's all I did. That's all I cared about. Uh, that was my life. Uh, and right around 16, 16 about is, is when like my parents started pressuring me on getting a job and I didn't want to work yet. Like I, I, to me, I felt like if I was going to work, I wasn't going to be able to skate as, as much. And all I wanted to do was skate. So, uh, that was when I tried to come up with a creative solution to not have to work. And that was attempting to get sponsored and have companies give me free product. And, uh, and that was really it. I just didn't want to stop skating. <laughs> so what was so the draw? What was the draw to skating for you? Like what made you so passionate about it? Oh man. You know what? A couple things. Uh, one, it was the, so prior to that, I, I did all like the conventional sports. I tried baseball. I played hockey for a while and I was, it was all about like team building, right? Mm -hmm. Which, which, I, it, it's not that I didn't like it, but when I was introduced to skating, it was the first thing that like, I felt like it was all a battle or a competition with myself. Right. And there was something about that where it was like, dude, it was all on me. Like I'm, I, I'm at war with myself, no one else around me. I like that part of it. Uh, two, there was, there was something really like, 
there was something really unique about skating that like originally grabbed me was the way skaters look at the world. I remember like I started skateboarding and, and I saw a skateboarder do like a board slide down a handrail. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I never looked at that handrail as being anything other than something that you put your hand on as you walk downstairs. Right. And mm-hmm. it like blew me away because it was like, I, I looked at the world around me completely different now. And it was all about like, how could I take that thing that's meant for this and use it for what I want to do it with. And it was like, it, it, that was a huge part of it. And then mixed with how difficult skating is and my personality, I, I really get obsessed with things when I'm trying to figure them out and master them. And if it's too easy, I lose uh, focus on it. And skating was just so hard. It like, I was just always obsessed with mastering it and I just never was able to. That's why the obsession never ended. I yeah. love it. So I'm, I'm very fascinated by that concept you just brought up of like, it, it allowed you to see the world through a completely different lens. So can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe how our listeners could, could start to, to implement some of that or start to see things a little bit differently? Yeah. So, I, I mean, when it first happened, it was that simple, right? Like it was a handrail. I was like, holy crap, people skate on handrails. And, and in the beginning, it was like this, like, how could you explain it? It almost would be like, you saw everything like one dimensional and all of a sudden it was three dimensional. Right. And, and I was like obsessed with like, you know, my parents would be driving down the street and like, I'd be staring out the window looking for like things that could be skated on. Right. And, and that's how it was in the beginning, but what ended up happening is I started looking at everything differently. Right. It wasn't just, Oh, is that a skatable spot? It was like, if somebody brought up a point in which they believed in my first reaction now was, I wonder if there's another way to think about that. Is there an alternative way? When, it, when I started getting into like problems, whether it was like relationships or I had a challenge, it was, I no longer looked at like, is there only one way to solve this problem? It was like skateboarding created this like creative process of trying to figure out alternative methods and everything. And, and so that was like, I don't know. I just became really fascinated with the fact that you could do things differently than other people. No. Yeah. So, so how did that carry forward for you? I mean, first let's dive into to the sponsorship side of things. You said your parents were pressuring you to get a job. You were trying to get some sponsorships. You could keep skating. How did that play out? So, uh, so at that time there was no social media, right? There was yeah. just VHS videos. <laughs> so, so basically I can, I convinced this kid who had a video camera to film me skate. I filmed like three minutes of like my hardest tricks. And then I went through the magazines and every ad that a company would have, they'd have a little address at the bottom mm-hmm. of where their company was. Yeah. So I'd take the address, I'd put it on my like package of VHS tape. I put attention team manager. I sent like 40 of these things out. And you know, the first batch of them, I didn't get any callbacks. So I called the kid who filmed. I was like, dude, we need to do a better one. And I spent the next three months filming a better video and then send it out to 40 other sponsors. And then I started getting callbacks. I, I got three, three companies to call me. They started sending me uh, skateboards and clothes and shoes. And that was like my beginning to it was I started getting free stuff. And then if I ever needed money, I would just sell either the used stuff to the kids or like new stuff to kids that were skating. And I was like, self-sufficient, you know? (laughs) So what do you think it was that caught their attention? Was it just like the difficulty of the tricks you were doing or was there anything you did to like really stand out? Uh, that's such a good question. Uh, you know what, man? No, I don't think so. That's what's weird about hmm. it. I, I didn't like, you know, I thought I was good, but I wasn't like, I wasn't like this like ultra gifted kid who was doing things that no one had ever seen. Sure. Um, 
but you know, I, usually how it works with skating, right? They'll they'll find somebody that they might see potential and start giving them free stuff, start working with them and seeing if there's somebody that they could help mold or grow into becoming something big. Okay. I don't know if it was that, but dude, I look back and I always think like, dude, I can't believe somebody called me back. Like seriously, <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. Maybe like the guy who called me was in a good mood and I, he liked the <laughs> shirt I was wearing, who knows? <laughs> Crazy, crazy. So like just by just by having that that raw skill that you've been working at for years and years and years, that was that was really caught their attention. Yeah, you know what? I never asked that question. That's actually a really good one. I never asked the guys what they saw. I know a couple of them. I'll, I'll ask them. I'll follow up with them and say, dude, what did you see in me as a 17-year-old kid? I love it. So, but besides that, like, I mean, what what got you to get to that point as far as like consistently putting in the time? Because even, even as a young person, I know a lot of people have passions. They have things that they like doing. But to the extent that you were skating, I mean, you were putting in like multiple hours, like three plus hours a day, I believe, um, consistently for skating. Like what got you to do that? Because I mean, people, yeah, people have passions, but like people don't usually go that far in. Um, dude, it, it, was, it was an obsession. That's all. It was more than a passion. Mm. It was, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that's like a personality trait for me, but it was all I could think about always. Like I would think about it all night, all day. I'd be at school. Think, there was not a second I didn't think about skating. So when I would do it, I just wanted to be the best at it. I, I, I don't, it, 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 I was too young to have this like process or plan. I just did. And I think it was just because I was obsessed with it. Hmm. That's fascinating. You know? So, I mean, what took you from these like beginning sponsors that were sending you like free stuff here and there? How did that transition into the place where you then got to where you were doing this professionally? So in the beginning, when like my parents wanted me to get a job, it was yeah. kind of like a, just a, a quick hack to get them off <laughs> my back. Um, when I was about to graduate high school, that's when it started getting a little bit more concerning for them because I, I wasn't going to go to college. Right. Mm. And so they were, and I wasn't making money at this point. I was just getting free stuff. And so basically with them, like really worrying about my future, us having a lot of conversation slash arguments about it, uh, kind of what they said was like, look, if you're going to go do this, like you need to make some money at least. Right. And, and so I just use that as leverage to get these companies to pay me. I used the idea that my parents wanted me to go to school. So I called three of them and I was like, Hey, look, I, I, I want to do this. I want to like, you know, take my career forward. But dude, if I can't get money, I have to go to school. So I'm just going to have to quit. And I just let them, even though like, you know, I was kind of bluffing because I don't know if I would have quit. Uh, <laughs> basically the three at the three companies were like, okay, we'll pay you a little bit. So that was enough for it to get started. So they started giving me a little bit of money. It wasn't a lot. Uh, and then that kind of put me in the position of like, okay, they're starting to give me ads. I'm starting to make money. Uh, now I just need to make more money and actually build this thing out. That's, that's fascinating, man. Cause a lot of people wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't choose to like put their cards on the table and like tell the company like, Hey, my parents are on my back. I need to make some money here. What, what got you to do that? Did you try other things before that? Or was that like your first thought? No, to tell you the truth. Like that was my first thought of like, how could I, like, we didn't have agents, right? I was an 18 year old kid yeah. and I didn't want to like take this like aggressive stance against a, a company and try to like sell myself and still be like, the the pro skateboarder that, that could get kind of muddy yeah right so i just basically put my parents on it and use them almost as like the scapegoat or bad guys like hey look my parents want me to go to school 
right? Mm -hmm. Like the only way I can continue doing this is if I get some money or I'm going to have to go to school and like, dude, I feel like I have a shot here. So I kept our relationship intact. I kind of pinned it on them. And at least they were like, okay, do we totally understand that? We want you to keep doing this. And then I just, that was like the beginning of me learning how to, how to be an agent manager and athlete all at the same time. You know, that's, that's a lot of plates. That's a lot of plates to balance at once. Yeah. I mean, do you have any advice for like the, the young listener, maybe not in that exact same position, but somebody who wants to start presenting themselves or sort of wearing those different hats of being like the, the individual, but also the manager and also like these different things and different roles? Yeah. You know what? I think like first you need to like figure out what, like if you're even good at that part of it, right? Like not everyone's good at communicating. Not everybody's good at, at telling people what they're worth in a way that isn't uh, aggressive or ending the conversation. Right? So if you're not that person, you don't like negotiating, find somebody to do it. I, I think you just, you have to, if you are like me, it, it really just becomes like this, this balance of like, you know, thinking, what would you want to hear? Right? Like if I was the company, what would I want that person to tell me and be really cautious about how you present your message, knowing that the other person listening is a person also. Right. So like, I always just like try to come at it with like just being genuine and not trying to like put this crazy upsell on myself. Because the thing you need to realize is if you sell the crap out of yourself and you put the price tag way up here, you would then have to deliver way up here. Right. So you don't want to overprice yourself because then there's no longevity in what you're doing. So be very realistic of what you're worth and be really honest on where you want to take it. I think that's a, a much better stance for somebody on the other end listening to go, you know what? He is worth that. I do want him to grow. I'm going to get behind him and this is going to be a good relationship. Hmm. Right? So since you were your own agent, since you were like 18 years old, I mean, how were you gauging your worth? Like, how were you trying to figure out how to price yourself and like what that was worth? So I'm a big believer in asking a lot of questions. And so I, that's what I would do. Other skaters, I would ask them, Hey dude, what do you make? How much, mm. like, what is somebody supposed to make? They, there were skaters who had agents. I talked to them. Hey, what do pro skaters make? What do amateur skaters make? So I was trying to get as much insight as I possibly could to then actually present a realistic response to them. Right. So if I know, like, and I was am at this point, like amateurs were making around $2,000, 1500 $2,000 a month from their shoe sponsor at that time, right? So if that's the gauge, I can't go ask for five or six grand, but I don't want to ask for a thousand. So I would use that and go, hey, look, the bulk of, of amateurs make this much. I actually think I'm a little bit better than them. I think I have a longer career with you. I'm not asking for this much, but I think I'm worth a little bit more. So instead of the, the 2000, I want 2,500. Hmm. Yeah. How are you, how are you forming those relationships with the other skaters? Cause I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, I'm not sure what the skater community is like, but I feel like a lot of people wouldn't just be that upfront with you. If you'd be like some random kid that walks up to them and like, how much money do you make? How much is your shoe sponsor yeah. paying you? So how are you building those relationships? How are you getting in with those people? So that's such a good point you just made. Uh, yeah, you have to build the relationship first, right? The thing about skaters, man, skating is a very like tight knit community. And so at that point, skating was so small that if anyone else skated, you were like bros with them, mm -hmm. right? And then when you start getting sponsored and then become pro, the, the community gets even tighter and smaller. So just from like seeing the guys, we would start, I would just start conversations with them. We would create relationships, become friends, start skating together. And then that's when I would ask. I wouldn't go blind like, hey man, like 
my name's Mikey. How much do you make? Yeah. You know, <laughs> our society as a whole isn't at that place yet. A hundred percent. So, I mean, so at this point you're 18 years old, you, you're locking down a couple sponsors here and there, uh, and you're not going to college. So what is your day to day looking like at this point? I mean, like you wake up, like, are you just skating like eight hours a day? Are you like holding down part-time jobs? Like, what's that look like? Yeah. So no, I was not working. I was just skating. And at that point it was kind of a crazy schedule. So Monday. So I should sit, start here. When we were skating, we were skating at like schools or businesses, right? Okay. And schools and business are in session Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturday. And so we didn't want to wait till just the weekend to film our tricks. So we would skate at night when everybody was sleeping. Hmm. So, so my schedule was, I wouldn't wake up till 12, one, two in the afternoon. And then we'd, we'd go to the skate park. We'd warm up sometime around four and then we would start driving out to go skate around seven at night. And then we would skate from seven at night till four or five in the morning and then do that every day. So we were pretty nocturnal uh, in doing it. But uh, yeah, dude, we were skating. It, it was all about skating. Now. That's it. Woke up, warm up, go get tricks, come to bed, do it all over again, do it all over again. So how were you, or like, how does the process work for moving from AM to pro? I mean, like, what did you need to do to get to that next level? And how were you moving closer to that? Yeah. So pretty much what it means to go pro is that your sponsor starts selling your name on product. So your skateboard company is the one that turns you pro and then a clothing company will do a signature line with you, a shoe company, et cetera. And really you get to that point when you create enough demand for yourself that a company feels like they can go sell your name or it would be easier to sell product by putting your name on it. So the name of the game was get as many people to know who you are as possible and like the way you skate. So it was all about exposure. So like when, when we would say we would go out and try to film every night for skating, like when we would go film a trick, you couldn't film a trick that had already been done on that spot. It always had to be a new trick. So a lot of times, like when we would film these video parts, which would be uh, about a three minute part, it would sometimes take us two or three years to film a three minute video part. And so we were so aggressive with the amount of time we were trying to go out and film because to us, that meant the more clips we have out there, the more people that know who we are, then the more demand we have, then the more product we can sell. Huh. So how are you getting these clips in front of people? Was it just like record it, upload it to YouTube? Were there other yeah. channels for you? No channels back then. This is, there's no social media. So we were completely reliant on the companies. Wow. So the two ways that we would get be advertised at that point were having photos in the magazines so that would either come from a, a company that sponsored us buying an ad and putting a photo of us in it or the magazine itself running an editorial on us. So there were magazines and then there were videos. So uh, every two to five years, a company would put out their own video of all their skater skating. And then there would be video magazines. So there was four and one trans world and they would have videos come out every year. And so for us, it was okay, get in as many magazines as possible and get in as many videos as possible. But we were uh, completely like, you know, at their, uh, what would the right word be? Uh, it was totally up to them. Like we yeah. had no access to content. Like it wasn't like there was a social media where you could just upload it, you know? Huh. So there was I mean, a gatekeeper back then. Yeah. yeah. So given that, like, how were you getting the gatekeeper's attention? Like, how were you making a name for yourself? How were you standing out from all the other people that they were sponsoring? Like, how were you getting yourself noticed? 
I was trying to do the, the, so that's such a great question. So when you like with skating back then, it was really based on like the tricks and how you looked doing the tricks. Hmm. Right. So I would just try it. Like, you know, when you're a kid, like, okay, so how it would work, right. When you're raising the bar, like, right. The kids put out or the pros put out the tricks. And for us, it would take us, like I was telling you three years to film one video part. Right. So when I would try one trick, it might take me, two hours of trying it over and over to land at one time. Well, when a kid would see it, he wouldn't see the process I had to go through to land the trick. He would just see that I landed at one time. So then all of a sudden these kids start learning how to do the trick that took me four hours to do it every single try. So the progression starts happening pretty significantly. So when I was a kid, I was just seeing what the pros were doing and was learning how to do it quicker. My whole generation was. So when we got into the videos, it was like, we were just doing stuff that the pros weren't able to do. And we were young and doing it in a different way. We dressed different. And that was how people started paying attention to us. Mm, that's yeah. massive. So what, what led you to, to going pro? I mean, what was there like a moment? Was there like a, a situation? Was there a person you met? Like what allowed you to make that transition? So I got sponsored by this company called city stars. This guy, Kareem Campbell, uh, who ran the company and he, he had this vision of taking all these kids and he called it the terror squad. Right. And he had six amateur kids that were actually the six guys that I grew up skating with. So we had like our own little core, like gang almost. He took the whole group and started putting eyeballs on us. And so we were getting a lot of attention. And then in that he made, you know, this ad saying, you know, he put everybody's photo up. So it was all six of us. Who should I turn pro? And then we got, you know, he got all these emails and everybody voted for people. And then he had this whole release of I'm turning these two people pro and it ended up being me and my friend, Paul Rodriguez. And then from that point on, we were pro skateboarders. Wow. So yeah. when, when did that happen? I mean, how old were you when that, when that officially happened? Uh, this was 2000, 2001, I believe 2001, 2002. So I was eight, eight I was 19. Wow. So yeah. what, what changed for you once you, once you turned pro, like, was there, was there a light switch flip? Was it, was it the same? Like no. what happened? <laughs> no, to tell you the truth. Like the only thing that really happened is I started seeing people like skating with my name on their board. Right. So that was weird. But in my mind, like, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if there's a part of me that's never satisfied, but I think I wanted to do so much that me turning pro wasn't the, oh, okay, I made it. It was just mm. another notch in where I wanted to take it. So when I turned pro, it was, that, that wasn't as significant as I thought it was going to be. Hmm. It was just weird to like see people riding my boards. That was all. Do you think, do you think a lot of people, cause, cause what I see is a lot of these young kids have these ideas of like, once I hit this benchmark, then things will change. Then this light switch will flip. Then things will be totally different. But it sounds like in your case that that, that isn't what happened. No, and I don't think that happens. I think, I shouldn't say that. I think when that does happen, it's a problem. It's not uh, an advantage, right? Like, think about it, man. When you're trying to like, when you have this bar that you said like, okay, I'm gonna, my video is gonna go viral and all of a sudden I'm gonna be known and everything's gonna change. My life's gonna change. That's when you let off the gas right? When you go through these like moments where it's like, I'm here, then you become complacent. You stop doing what got you there. So I'm a big believer of don't ever stop doing the things that got you to the place you're trying to go. And so when you hit these benchmarks, you better look for the next benchmark or it's only a matter of time before you fall off. And then, every, and then you spend all your time going, God, it was so nice when I had it. 
I don't just want to have it for a moment. I want to constantly be driving at it, you know? Hmm. So with that constant drive, I mean, it seems like you were always looking to the next thing. I mean, you were setting these benchmarks, you were hitting them, then you're going to the next thing. So what was the moment or like, when did you start thinking about what was going to come after skating? Because I'm sure that like skating was the thing for you. And I'm sure that must've been tough for you to think about like, there's going to be something after this, like this isn't going to last forever. Like my body can only do this for so long. So when did you start thinking about what was going to come next? Yeah. So I was really fortunate to, uh, have been introduced to somebody who would then become my mentor, this guy, Randy. And he, uh, he was introduced to me by my parents because remember why I told you my parents were so scared about me not going to college. Yeah. Well, they were trying to figure out like how I was going to be able to be successful without having to go to school. So he, they introduced me to this guy, Randy. Uh, Randy was uh, a wealth manager and ran uh, a real estate fund. Hmm. And so it was the introduction to him who basically was trying to like figure out how I could do this all right. Like, and it was, it was at my parents, like will, but he, he started asking me questions that I don't know, I was probably 20, um, you know, questions like, what are you going to do after skateboarding? How long does your career last? What do you want to do? How, how are you with money? And, and really it was like his guidance that like started preparing me to have to plan for the future when my career was like, just getting started. Right. And, and really it was like, you know, he started teaching me about money. That's like really how it started. Like teaching me like how to budget for myself, how to plan for the future, how to get your money to start working for you. And it wasn't until I, I started investing with a lot of his deals where I started understanding this concept of my money can make money. Right. Like I was so blown away with that idea. Like, wait, I don't have to do anything. Like I just go send my money off to work and it comes back and makes me more money. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So I think it was a, a combination of my parents being scared about me not going to college, me being introduced to this guy, Randy, and starting to understand that like, this doesn't last forever. And there's a window in time where I'm relevant and of influence. And I need to basically maximize my opportunity while I'm in those that, that special window. And it was, it was just that collective that started getting me to think of it. And so I was young, I was 20, 21 years old. Yeah. So, I mean, were you, when, when did you start really going all in on the real estate side of things? Because like, clearly you had this early exposure, you had some knowledge of like, okay, I can start investing my money. But I mean, like you said, you were early in your career, you were still like skating a lot. You were still a pro skater. So when did you start to really think about like, I should, I should start learning a lot more about real estate, start building some kind of foundation over here. So that's such a great question. Um, in the beginning, I was investing passively. So I wasn't actively out buying buildings, renovate buildings. I was investing into deals that people were the operators doing the project. My money was the equity portion of it, right? So from, I don't know, me being introduced to Randy until today, that's how my investments were going. I didn't start learning about like how actual investing worked until we started, we started a company called St. Archer and mm -hmm. we needed money to start it. We didn't have enough capital between the three of us to do it. So we had to raise money. And when we started raising money, that's when I started getting introduced to this world of like how not only what investors ask, but how, how much education we had to have in, taking people's money and being responsible for it. And, and during that experience, I just started learning more about it and really enjoying it. 
And then later down the road is when I really started going all in on real estate as far as like what my career is in a sense. For sure. So, I mean, talk to us about that, that process of going into raising money without having any like big prior projects. I mean, you're like a pro skater coming into the world of, of entrepreneurship and business. What did that look like for you and how were you selling yourself to these investors? So, uh, that was not easy. <laughs> um, so I had, so I started seeing Archer with two of my friends, a guy Paul Rodriguez and a guy Josh Landon. And, and Josh, Josh was a, a surf filmmaker, made surf films. Paul was another pro skateboarder. And, and one thing that we all were really good at and knew how to do was how to tell stories and build brands, right? Paul and I had a career because we learned how to relate to an audience and a company found saw the value in that kind of process to then want to pay us to do it. Right. Josh knew how to create the videos to then parlay that message on. So when we started at St. Archer, we took the approach of we can create a brand. We could tell a story and we could relate to an audience that the, that the craft beer industry is not able to do, which was like our, I think, selling point and strategic strategic advantage to the others what we didn't have was business experience so what we ended up doing was when we started the company we went to randy who ended up being my mentor right and and kind of used him and his company to help set us up as the business experience to get us started so that we would have the right people around us to get going and so that's what happened so when we started it we had a team of guys who had experience in the beer industry had experience running a business uh, and kind of learned through that. But yes, investors were taking a risk with us and that having been our first project. Absolutely. So it seems like this guy, Randy, has been extremely influential on you and really like showed you a lot of different routes that you could go down. Talk about the importance of, of a mentor because a lot of young people ask me, like, do I need a mentor? Like, is it important to have some kind of business mentor? Um, and, and what are your thoughts on that and how, how Randy sort of played into where you're at now? So, uh, Yes, I, I think having a mentor or somebody who has done things beyond you is important, right? For for a lot of different reasons, for a lot of different reasons. One, it's better to learn for some, from somebody who's gone through the experience so that you can uh, avoid uh, landmines or bad situations from happening without you having to go through them, right? So I think the you're able to have more of a straight shot at where you're headed as opposed to this like constantly trying to figure it out. So I think a mentor saves you a lot of time in doing it. Um, but two, it's like, dude, when you see people doing it and having done it, it gives you confidence that you can then go on and do it. Right. It's like, it's similar to like what we talked about with skating, right? When a kid would see us go do a trick, that kid saw us do the trick and all of a sudden the trick became possible. Right. It's like, have you ever heard of like, uh, like a never been done trick? Like when Tony Hawk did the 900, right? Yeah. No one had ever done a 900 before. All of a sudden he does a 900 and what happens now? Everybody can 900 because they see that it's possible. Same thing applies for a mentor, right? It's like when you see somebody who's done something, it gives you confidence to go, dude, if you did it, I could do it. Right. I think making sure you pick a good mentor is a completely different thing, but the idea of mentors I think is really valuable. Yeah. So talk to us about picking a mentor because it seems like this guy, Randy, was somebody who your parents really brought to you. I mean, I'm sure you had the opportunity to like listen to what he said and to decide if you were going to take that at face value or not. But what do you think is important when, when establishing how a listener should be looking for a mentor and what those characteristics they should be looking for are? 
Um, gosh, you got some great questions. So, uh, I think like when, first and foremost, when you meet a mentor, you want to make sure that it's someone that you look up to and want to be like, right? Like it, it makes no sense to look at somebody and like hate everything about them, but they're successful in one aspect and try to emulate what they're doing. That's a bad reflection on who you want to be. Right. Two, make sure the person it, it like, <sighs> we're in a day and age where everybody says that they're a mentor and everybody's selling all this digital product and everyone looks successful, right? That's a scary time. So you really need to do a lot of due diligence to make sure this guy is who he says he is and that you want to be where he's at, right? So the thing about Randy, which I was drawn to was he, he managed people's money, right? And my goal was trying to become financially free. So what I was drawn towards Randy is that Randy was financially free. Randy did not have to work anymore, right? He enjoyed what he did and continued doing it. So I liked that somebody was already at a place in which I wanted to go instead of somebody saying, hey, I know how to take you there, but I haven't gotten there yet, mm. right? So make sure people are at a place where you want to get to. Absolutely. So I'm also fascinated at the at the idea of, of social media and how people are using that for their businesses today. Because I mean, like you said, man, when you were getting started skating, like social media was not something that you had available to you. You couldn't use that to to grow your brand, to get those sponsorships, to get to, to eventually go pro. So like today, what is the role of social media in your business? I mean, I know you've got a pretty decent sized social following right now, but how do you sort of think about how that plays into the projects you're working on and and how you're sort of playing with that? So one, we got to introducing a, a project to the market. Yeah. Two, I was, I was really fortunate to have someone like Randy come into my life and be that mentor and show me how to set my life up for success in the future, right? And, and I recognize that, that I was very fortunate to have that. So a big part of what I do with my social media is trying to use it to educate and show other people what I was taught through him so that they can learn how to, to how to prepare, learn all these things that I was fortunate to have guidance on. So I, I use it to educate as well. Hmm. So launch brands and educate is what I use it for. So how do you, have you ever struggled with, because I know a lot of our listeners have this issue. And I know I've had this issue in the past as well, but struggling with sort of that balance of like social media life versus real life and how you're devoting your time and what you're thinking about. Like, like talk to us about that process for you. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's, we can be pretty consumed by it. Right. Yeah. Um, for me, I, oh man, I try to like incorporate as much of my real life situations into social. Okay. Right. So like, I, I, I'm a big believer, like, or I should say what I don't do. I don't sit here and think of all these concepts that would relate to social media and then go out and create them. I find things that happen to me in real life each day. And when they happen, take a, I take a note of it and go, you know what, this, this is what happened to me. This is what I felt. This is what I did. And I try to create content around experiences that are happening to me day in and day out. Hmm. And I just think it makes it easier for me to just be what I preach. As far as balancing the two, that's a different scenario, right? And I have like, I'm a little, I'm probably a little further along than a lot of your listeners. I have a wife and two kids. So yeah. the balance is definitely real. <laughs> Um, so I try to, I try to give myself certain times at which I'm on my phone, responding, commenting, posting, and then times when I'm not, 
so that I could actually be present with the people that I'm around. Uh, and that's going to be personal to who you are, right? Like, and depending on your situation, me, I have kids that like, I want to be around. So I don't want to have my phone in my face all day long. But if you don't have kids and you're trying to build something, dude, spend more time on it than I do. You know, I just think it's like, you know, make sure you're enjoying all of it. You know? Absolutely. So talk to us now about, about commune capital and about how you've begun to, to build that project. So that's something that I know a lot of our listeners are going to be interested in. It's more on the real estate side of things. So first just give us like a ground level, like what is it? And then we're going to dive a bit deeper. Okay. So, uh, at the core of it, it's a real estate fund. So, so we take people, a group of people and bring them on as investors. And then, uh, all of us go in and go buy buildings in a sense together. And really what, where it started was, you know, I told you about skating, having like, like we're a really tight knit group. Yeah. So skating started off as this like individual thing with myself and in this battle with myself. But what happened is I started creating these really like tight relationships with people. And it became this, like, we're all in this together approach, Hmm. even though we have an individual brands, it was like very community based, which I loved. And when my career ended, I found myself feeling really isolated actually, because I was no longer a pro skateboarder. So, uh, you know, a lot of my identity was basically gone. And then two, because I was really fortunate to have a Randy in my life and help me plan for when my career ended, I was in a position where I stopped making money and didn't have to go figure out how to get a job. And that felt very isolating as well, which I recognize it was a huge blessing, but that's not the normal outcome of an athlete. Most athletes, go through a much harder transformation out of their career. And I didn't want to be the only one to figure it out, right? Like I'm, I'm a big believer of, I want us all to win or I want us all to lose. So I tried to come up with an idea of how I could have more people be on this side than that side. And when I looked back at everything I did, even with St. Archer, we ended up selling St. Archer, just lump sums of money didn't do anything for me. When we sold St. Archer, a lump sum didn't do it. If I was making money from pro skateboarding and putting it in a savings account, that isn't what did it for me. I always had to figure out how to get my money to work. And so when I wanted to solve the problem for them, real estate was kind of that big component to what I was doing that put me in that position. And so I wanted to create something to help other athletes participate is, is where it started. And then it ended up becoming kind of bigger than athletes. It, it, it had actually resonated with more people that I was, than I was even aware of at that time. Yeah. So talk to us about that expansion because like, like you said, you, you established at the beginning to serve athletes and you were sort of going after that niche market, but what led it to actually like getting bigger than that? And how did that process plan out? Okay. So I'm going to say this first. Uh, usually it takes two years for you to actually know what your brand is, right? You come up with a business plan, an idea, you launch it. It's one thing. It starts turning and turning and turning. And for some reason, it usually seems like it's year two where you're like, okay, we know what this is, right? That's kind of what happened with that. It's like I had this original idea of wanting to help a a specific person. And as I was raising money and telling people about it, I started seeing other people that weren't athletes resonate to what I was saying, right? So for example, for skating, we had a career that we loved doing, but wasn't going to last forever, right? So putting yourself in a position of safety through that is where the athletes resonate, right? But when I would talk to, oh man, for example, sales guys, right? Not an athlete, but a sales guy actually feels a similar pain point as 
with skating, there's no certainty to their future, right? Sales guys, you could have a big year. And then once that year's over, you start back over to zero and you never have a consistency on what you're going to make each year. So the pain point of uncertainty and how to put yourself in a, in a stable position related to both sets of people, I wasn't prepared for that. And then I started just, you know, having conversations with, uh, gosh, we have a lot of entrepreneurs. We have like lawyers and even lawyers are like, Hey, look, dude, yeah, your, your story of skating isn't the same as mine, but dude, I don't want to have to work forever. I want to choose to work that, that relates to a lot of people. So it just started, we started building, a, a an eclectic group of people way beyond athletes, you know, mm. to where now we actually have more non-athletes than athletes as investors. That's, that's wild, man. And that just goes yeah. to show, like you said, like we have these ideas at first, but, but as time goes on, as we get those experiences, we're going to learn so much more about what we're actually building and the impact we actually want to make that like, you, you never want to set anything too far in stone at the beginning. Cause you never, you never know when it's going to pan out to be. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. All right, Mikey, I have some questions that I do like to ask all of my guests. You've been dropping some massive, massive value so far, but I've got a couple that I like to ask them all. So you ready for those? Yep. Let's hop into it. The first of which is what is something that genuinely has Mikey Taylor excited right now? Could be in your business, could be in the wider realm of, of really anything, but like what's got you fired up? Oh gosh. Um, you know, we're at a, so we're at a stage right now with our company where, um, okay. Kind of talking back, sorry, I'll make this quick, but talking back to like the two years, right? When mm -hmm. you launch a brand, it takes a point of time where people start getting comfortable with who you are, trusting what you're doing. And there's almost like this tipping, tipping point, uh, point. We're feeling that right now. Mm. So we're now like starting to like get into our groove where we have people like being way more engaged with our content side. We have investors starting to tell other investors that we're just at like an exciting time from our business, like really starting to grow, uh, which is pretty exciting. So, uh, I would say that's like the, the juice right now where it's like, okay, dude, it's go time, you know? That's what's up. That's what I like to hear. So Mikey, do you have any habits that have served you particularly well, either in your business or in your lifestyle, just those things that you're doing on a regular basis? Uh, yeah. You know what? I really started getting into like morning routines and, and having some type of consistency throughout my day, um, which has been really big for me. Um, and in doing that, so this is, this is one thing that's been really impactful for me. I try to get to a point where I'm at the same stage every time I'm leaving the house, right? So like with kids and what would happen is the kids would wake up either in a great mood or a crazy mood. I would either be like all over the place or excited and I'd leave the house different every day. And, and so I started spending time getting myself to a place where if I was leaving the house, I was ready to leave the house and go attack. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to drive here. I'm gonna, and it was like, I tried to get myself out of this chaos of, putting out fire to fire to fire and some type of like, okay, I'm ready. I'm clear. Here I go. And, and a morning routine really helped me do that. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Now, Mikey, uh, I know you're putting out a fair bit of content across social. Is there any content that you're consuming right now, whether that's books you're reading, audiobooks, podcasts, uh, YouTube channels? Uh, yeah, all, um, let's see on, on the book book world. I'm reading the, uh, 48 laws of power mm. right now. Um, before that, it was uh, uh, The Art of Influence. Those are the two books I was reading. Um, and then podcasts, I'm really heavy on like uh, investing podcasts, apartment building investing, bigger pockets, real yeah. estate is kind of uh, the majority of podcasts I listen to. 
Mm. Um, but you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to leave the audience with this one because this one was actually told to me a couple of days ago that I thought was genius. I had a friend who went to Grant's Big 10X uh, event okay. at the stadium. And I guess his daughter, maybe it was Scarlett, got up on stage and she made this point. She was like, look, I'm in school and I learn every day. And I love that I'm learning new knowledge. And I think it's unfortunate that most adults, when they leave school, stop learning. So I would just recommend you guys to still go out and learn. And it's funny, man. Sometimes kids have way more clarity than we do as adults, right? So like, I've been really like trying to make sure I'm learning something new every day and just making myself stronger and more powerful. Hmm. That's the truth. I mean, so many adults around me, I just see them like they have stopped learning. Like they're no longer in a state where they feel like they want to be learning every single day. And I just see that as being very detrimental to, to really everything. Yep. You're totally right. All right, Mikey, um, if our listeners have been enjoying the amazing wisdom you have been bringing to Young Smart Money, where can they go to follow up with you, learn more about you, Commune Capital, all the things that you're working on right now? So I think the best place is just Instagram. That's like where I spend most of my time, at least. My Instagram is just Mikey Taylor. And from there, you can find everything else. You can find Commune, Avni, Sovereign, all the other companies that I, that I do or I've done. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link that up in the show notes for our listeners to access at their convenience. Mikey, again, man, I just want to say a huge thank you for your time and spending it here on Young Smart Money. It has been an absolute pleasure. Do you have any last parting thoughts, words of wisdom, or anything you want to leave the listener with here today? Okay, so I would say the, the one thing I'd want to leave, and it was, it was uh, inspired by a conversation I had yesterday with my wife. Um, be okay being yourself. Like, don't feel the need to have to change your opinion or views because the person next to you has a different opinion or view. Be okay with you and, and spend time asking questions on why other people feel or think the way they do. Don't just block them off. Don't just look at them as it's different than me. I don't like you. Take a second to understand what that got them to that process. And on the opposite end, be in a place to be able to communicate why you believe the things you believe and know that it's okay being different. Be okay with yourself, have confidence, be you, love you, love others. That was the conversation from yesterday, so I'll leave that with you guys. Mm, True words of wisdom. Mikey, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you and all the wisdom you have been sharing with us on the podcast today. Thank you, Legend. I appreciate it. Bada bing, bada boom. That is a wrap, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this last episode of Young Smart Money. If you did, you know what to do. Um, Drop us a five-star review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. I literally run on reviews like they are the fuel that goes into my body and gets me jazzed up, fired up every single morning. So if you take the time, literally it's like five seconds to drop a review. If you're in the podcast app, literally just go to Young Smart Money, scroll all the way down past all the episodes at the very bottom. There'll be a section that says write a review. If you could drop me all your thoughts, all of your questions, all your comments, all your concerns. I would love to read those. I read each and every one of them. um, And I really do take them all to heart. So that would mean a ton if you could do that. Otherwise, um, if you guys are wondering how I make money on the show, because if you all notice, I don't put sponsors on the podcast. I don't believe in that. I don't want to waste your time listening to some ad about Squarespace or whatever they're promoting these days on the podcast. And I've been approached by plenty of sponsors, believe me, but they all get shown where the door is because that's not what I believe in. But I am still able to monetize this podcast, turn it into a consistent five figures per month of income. If you guys are wondering how I do that, um, I put together a free cheat sheet for y'all. It's a little bit more than a cheat sheet. 
sheet. It's kind of like an ebook. It's like 20 some pages long where I laid out the 16 methods that I use to monetize my podcast. So if you guys are interested in that, I'm um, getting completely free. Just head over to applecriter.com slash cheat sheet. That's applecriter.com slash cheat sheet. And you can download that completely for free. Cheat sheet is all one word. Uh, don't ask me to spell it though, because I will probably mess up. So guys, applecriter.com slash cheat sheet for the free cheat sheet. How I'm able to monetize my podcast consistently at five figures per month off of that. Um, I really am passionate about podcasting and I want to teach y'all how to do it because I see these guys making videos on YouTube teaching you like the, the bare minimum, the basics, the stuff that nobody like needs to actually learn. Um, but it's, it's that advanced stuff. It's how to actually make money doing this without having to put sponsors on your show that I think is really, truly valuable. So that's why I wanted to share that with y'all. So guys, again, absolutely free to download. Link will also be in the show notes for this episode. Otherwise, I hope you guys have an absolutely wonderful rest of your day wherever it leads you. And I'm glad you decided to spend the last hour here with us on Young Smart Money.